word. Let me just give you just a couple of quick announcements for you. And the first is that, uh, as you'll see, uh, our friend Chris Allen is, is back. Uh, Devin is okay, but um, just things with circumstances in his work, and somebody tested positive for COVID. And so everybody in the branch has to get tested yesterday and has to quarantine until they get test results. And so that's why he's not here today. He's fine. So just pray that uh, his test results come back negative. Um, and then the other announcement I have is that we are getting ready to open, uh, reopen our childcare and nursery, uh, which is great news. Uh, and uh, still trying to figure it out, hoping for next week. If not, then certainly uh, two weeks from today. Uh, so if we can get some certain things in place this week, then we can uh, notify you as soon as possible and then have that, have that uh, open next week. Uh, if not, then I'll make sure that you, uh, that you are aware. Uh, so that we just want to have uh, enough time just to get prepared for that and make sure that parents and kids are, are safe and feel comfortable bringing their kids. So that's all I've got for us. Let me read to us our call to worship, which is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It tells, it tells us that God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's just pray. Uh, well, I'll pray for us, and then we will worship the Lord through some songs. Father, we thank you for giving us another Sunday morning to come together as your people. We pray that we may rejoice in the salvation of Jesus Christ, as we have just read here in the book of Ephesians. May the songs that we sing be a... a a reflection of the, the joy that we have in our hearts for what you've done for us in the cross. We thank you, Lord. We pray that our time will be honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand and worship the Lord through song together this morning. It's just a beautiful sound. Uh, praising God, God's people, giving God's praises together. It's powerful and it's beautiful. Let's just go for it today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. My soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. I sing the sun comes up, the sun comes up. Your 
Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning because you are the God who created all things and you are the God who brought us here through your son, Jesus Christ. And you are the God, the only God, the God of unity. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for Jesus Christ and his salvation, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Christ to our lives. And we affirm, Lord, that there are not three different gods, but just one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That in this Trinity, there is, a, there is love and there is a unity, a unity that we cannot grasp uh, in this life. It is a unity of, of oneness where you are one with yourself, one with Jesus Christ, one with the Holy Spirit. And you have called your church to be one with one another and one with you. 
So, Father, we pray that you would make us a church that pursues that unity. We thank you because through Jesus Christ, we have this permanent union with you, but you also call us to keep ourselves united. We pray that our unity would be a reflection of the unity that there is in the Trinity. To help us to be eager to maintain this unity. And we pray for those specifically who are going through difficult trials, who are enduring a season of suffering, whether it's physically or emotionally. Father, we pray that you you may remind them of the union that they have with Jesus Christ, the Christ who died for their sake, the Christ who suffered and endured the hostility of the world, who shares in the pain and the struggles that your people experience in this life. This same Jesus that tells us in the book of Hebrews for the joy set before him endured the cross. So we pray that your people would be filled with joy, even in the midst of turmoil and distress and suffering. That they would rejoice in the union that they have with Christ, that they would rejoice in the fact that, they, that the Lord Jesus is keeping them. That they would rejoice also in, in, in the hope that they have of resurrection life. Father, we pray also for our brothers and sisters across the globe who are persecuted for their faith. We pray for them, Lord, as they experience turmoil and distress, as as they are separated from family members because of their faith in Christ, as governments seek out churches to try to divide them and disperse them, Lord, we pray that you would remind them of the union that they have with Jesus Christ that they may be persecuted, but they are continued to, they are, they are kept by the Lord Jesus. We pray for these churches, Lord, that are meeting in secret, that you would keep them united with one another. We pray that you would strengthen your people, encourage them, and help them in their time of need. Father, we pray for dying churches, across our country, Lord, churches that are divided over different issues, churches divided because of sin, churches divided because they are no longer centered on the gospel. Father, we pray for these churches. We pray for the recovery of the gospel. We pray for a conviction of sin where there isn't any eagerness to maintain any unity. We pray for the provision for those who just cannot afford to keep their doors open. Father, we pray for these churches. We pray that you would sustain them and help them and correct them whenever they need correcting. And may we continue to rest in the promise that you have made to us in the scriptures, that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. Lord, and we pray for our country. We pray as we get closer to the elections, Lord, and as we think of the different issues that divide people from one another, as we think about the things that are most concerning to us and who will represent us. And Father, we pray for peace and stability. We pray for wisdom. 
we pray that you would put the right person in place. We pray that we would not, that your church would not rest on a president or the things that they are standing for, but that we would continue to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we pray that you would put in place the right person, that you would put in place the right people, that you would help those in power now to fight and to prioritize peace and stability. While also remembering that as Christians that that it cannot equate to the peace that we have with you through Jesus Christ, that it cannot equate to the peace that will come one day when Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom on the earth. But peace is still necessary and peace is still precious. So we pray that you would bring us to a place of greater peace. And lastly, Lord, we pray for teachers and educators who are getting ready to, to teach kids as schools reopen or as kids or as schools go into hybrid format or as schools go into all all online. Lord, we pray for wisdom and guidance for faculty, for teachers, for principals, for everyone involved in these decisions, God. We pray that you would provide the resources, the strength, and just everything that these teachers need to start this semester that no one expected would be so different than ever before. We pray that you would provide just the Everything, Lord, all the wisdom and just the sermon and guidance, God, to be able to do this well, to be able to provide kids an education and just in, in these difficult and strange times. We thank you for giving us, Lord, this day to come to you, to worship you through songs, to pray to you. And we conclude, Lord, with the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you would please turn with me to Gospel of John chapter 17. And we are picking up in verse 20. So we've been going through Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17. We've been covering the different prayer requests. And so the first prayer request was Jesus praying for himself, for his own glory. Then second, he prays. He prays that the church would be kept. And this is a prayer for the disciples who come to the, the apostles, right, who represent the church, for the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, so a prayer for them is a prayer for the church. Jesus prays that the church would be kept, that the church would be sanctified, and today we'll see that, that Jesus also prays that the church would be united. So chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you may 
teach us this morning. We thank you, Lord, because you are a God of unity and you have predetermined, you have predestined, Lord, that all things are summed up in Jesus Christ. That all things are, are coming to him, all things are turning in his direction. So we pray that you would, you would calibrate our hearts be facing towards Jesus Christ and draw us to himself through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to watch basketball or even like sports at all to have heard of the name Michael Jordan. Right? Then his time when he was playing the game, he was, people, many will argue even to this day that he was and still is the most, the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And when he was playing, he was a topic of conversation. He was in the news. He was in the media. And so even to this day, people continue to talk about him, and hence why almost nobody goes without ever having heard of him. Now, in his time when he was playing the game, he was very good at it. And because he was so good at playing, well, he sold a lot of tickets. Well, back then in the the Chicago Stadium, it sat about 18,000 people. It then became the United Center, which had a seating capacity of about 20,000 people. And for 610 consecutive games over a 13-year period, it sold out completely. Right, thanks to Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, but especially to Michael Jordan, right, that stadium sold out for so many years. I mean, just think about it, between 18 to 20,000 people every single year, about 48 times a year, coming together to see this game, to see Michael Jordan. And, it's, it's, and it's, to me, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that you would have so many, to add thousands upon thousands of people come this many times per year for one single purpose, to see Michael Jordan play. What's astounding, right, is that you have people, different people, people from even coming from different parts of the world, but different people from different walks of life. You have people from who are celebrities to warehouse workers, to moms and and dads, to, to children, to adults, to Democrats and Republicans, to Christians and atheists, all coming together to see Michael Jordan play. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because for this one night, or if you get to go, you go for this one night and you're united with all these people that otherwise you'd probably have little to nothing in common with. Now, the question is, how does the unity that we might see at a sports event like, the, like, a, like a Chicago Bulls game compared to the unity that we might find in God's church. One other question might be is, is the unity surrounding the single individual greater than the unity that we might find surrounding the person of Jesus Christ in God's church? Right. Is there more unity in the basketball game than there is in Christ's church? Right. And what is the basis of that unity? Where does that unity come from? So let's think about these questions as we walk through Jesus' prayer on behalf of the church. So Christ's third prayer for the church is that she would be united, united with one another, united with Christ, united with God. 
And then verse 21 tells us that the intended result is so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God. Now, what does, how does our unity accomplish this intended result? Now, to really, under, to really answer that question, you have to understand some things about what it means to be sent according to the gospel of John, because John has a lot to say about what it means to be sent. Right? When we think of being sent, it carries the idea of, uh, of an individual coming to deliver something on behalf of somebody else, or uh, it's uh, delivering a message from somebody else to another person, or doing something on behalf of another person. When we read the, the Old Testament, we see the prophets, the prophets function in this way. They function as messengers. Like Isaiah and Ezekiel, they were called by God, given a message, and then they were sent out to proclaim a message, the message of God. And in most cases, that message was turn from your sins and turn to God. They were God's people. Or they were messengers of God's people. And that, there was a, and, there was, and that there was somebody who was sent, it means, of course, that there is somebody who does the sending. Right? The letters that you receive in your mailbox on a daily basis, right, that I'm not eager to check. But even as we receive these letters, right, they don't ever come from any, from just an air, right? You receive these letters because they come from somewhere. They come from somebody. And so even if there is no return address... Somebody must have sent it to you. And the thing about letters is that letters, most of, most of the time, I think, communicate much more than just words on a page. There's something else embedded in the letter that you receive. So take, for instance, so you receive a letter from the town with regards to your water bill for last month. And then the letter says, after some review, and after looking at the water meter, we've actually come to f- discover that we overcharged you. And so here is, uh, so here's our apology, and here's a letter to reimburse you, which is uh, $100 based on how much we overcharged you last month. Please accept this, and so on and so forth. And you, what you probably won't say is, you say that this is false. Well, you're not going to take that check and just rip it up and say, oh, this is fake, somebody's trying to scam me, or, or whatever else. Right, but you'll take it because it might have the, 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 uh, the letterhead of the town might have a particular seal. And you know that the town is giving, has been given the authority to, to bill you according to how much water you've used. And so that authority comes with an, with an element of trust. You trust them to be honest. And so when they give you a check to reimburse you, well, you trust them with that. Right, so there's much more is communicated in that letter than just the words on the page. And to reject the letter or to reject the message is to reject the one who sent the message or who sent the letter. Jesus is God's messenger come from heaven, sent by God to deliver a message to the world. And that message can be summed up with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus comes with the authority of God himself. And there's at least three things that attest to that authority. So in John chapter 1, verse 32, John, John the Baptist, who was sent by God to declare a message to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. In John 1, 32, in John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him, on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend 
and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Then in John 5, 36, Jesus says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, right, who testified of Jesus, that this is the Son of God sent by God. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the miracles, right, the turning of water into wine, uh, giving sight to the blind, all these things attest to the fact that Jesus is sent by God. Then in Matthew 3, 16, we have the witness of the Father. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's not enough to say that Jesus is just some man who is uniquely gifted or some man who is just uh, powerfully endowed with the works of God. Or it's not even enough to say that Jesus is born of a virgin right, which is true. But Jesus is much more than those things. Jesus was sent by God, right, in the same way, very much like the prophets were sent by God to proclaim a message, but also unlike the Old Testament prophets. Because Jesus was just much more than just sent, but he also came from God. The Gospels are clear about that. The Apostle Paul, as a matter of fact, is clear about that. That Jesus was sent by God and Jesus came from God. And Jesus himself says this in John 17. What in his prayer for himself in verse 5, when he prays for his own glory, God glorify me with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. Right? He's pointing to that, that, that intrinsic glory that he had before anything else was created. It's an eternal and divine glory. So Jesus is sent into the world on God's authority, with God's approval, bearing God's seal. We have the, in the Gospels, we have a parable of, a, of an owner who leases out his vineyard to tenants. Right? And when it's time for the harvest to, 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 uh, uh, to get the fruits of his vineyard, right, he sends his servants or he sends his messengers to reap the fruit of his vineyard that the, that the tenants have been keeping and producing and working at. And when the wicked tenants see the messengers that are sent by the owner, what do they do? They, they beat them, and some of them they kill. And so finally, the, the, the owner of the vineyard says, I will send my son because surely they will listen to him. And the wicked tenants don't. And they, they bruise him, and they kill him. And then it tells us that the owner will come and destroy the tenants. Right? It's a terrible, terrible thing to reject the message that comes from the messenger. The message of Jesus Christ comes with the authority of God, and to reject the message of Jesus Christ is to reject God. But still, we don't really know what this has anything to do with our unity. Right? How does the church's unity result in the world believing that Jesus is sent by God? Well, the answer is that our unity serves as an apologetic to the gospel message of the one who was sent by God. Our unity is intended to draw unbelievers to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
When we proclaim the same message that Jesus Christ proclaimed, when we live out the gospel, one another, in the context of, the, uh, of living our lives together, when we live in fellowship and with unity with one another that is made possible by the gospel, this becomes something attractional to the rest of the world. And it serves to authenticate the gospel message, much like the mass crowds that would gather, right, to, to come to a Chicago Bulls game to watch Michael Jordan play. There was a unity there. Even though there was people coming from all different parts of different walks of life, and even on the outsiders, right, though, who were on the outside, who were able to see that this, this is a spectacle to behold here. Because you see so many people gathered for this one purpose. Right, so it is when the church walks in unity with one another, when we walk in unity with Jesus Christ, right, this should attract the attention of outsiders. Right, because nobody wants to be a part of something where there's just nothing but disunity and discord and dissension and arguments and rivalries. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Right? And when there is division and disunity and dissension and arguments and rivalries in God's church, then people don't want to be a part of that. I would want to be a part of that. A set of passages of Scripture that I think highlights the importance of unity is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and following. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is a unity that the gospel produces because of the unity that there is in the Godhead, in the Trinity, between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because of a one faith in Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation, because we are under one Lord, under one God. Unity is essential to the very being of the church. And what unifies the people that make up the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, when you are walking in unity, you can't help but display that. Right? When a church is walking in unity, when a group of people are walking in unity, when people come together to see the bulls play, you can sense that there's a, you can see that there is a unity because you can't help but see it. Right? It, it, you, it can't, you can't hide it, and why would you want to hide it? But then when there's disunity, Right? You may try to hide disunity, but you can't really hide disunity. Whether it's in a family, relationships, whether it's in a group, whether it's in the church, you can't hide disunity. It comes out in some way, shape, or form. And it's tragic when churches disunite. Churches divide when the gospel is no longer the center. Churches divide when other things or programs become much more important than the gospel. Churches divide when sin is allowed to fester and to grow and without it being ever corrected or disciplined. Churches divide when no longer stands on the faith once for all and delivered to the saints. Churches divide and become lost when they lose the gospel. 
unity is essential to the very being of the church. And for these reasons, we trust the Lord to keep his church from becoming lost, but it's also these, for these reasons that we must also work together to keep ourselves together, to maintain this unity. Maintaining unity is what happens, is what, is what keeps us and draws others to the light of the gospel. Right, what's, this is what's, what's tragic, I think, about, about the persecuted church when churches are having to meet in secret because of fear of persecution, because of danger from the government, is that they have to, in a sense, they have to hide themselves, and that means hiding that unity, which is something they have to do. But it's even tragic in times like these with COVID, when churches can no longer meet, because unity is supposed to be one of those things that people see in the church and draws them to the church. Unity is meant to be attractional. And then we see in the passage that this unity that we share with one another and with God and with Jesus Christ is the unity of love. Verse 22, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So verse 22 is a very disputed passage. So many different interpretations, but I'll just quickly tell you what I think is the most convincing interpretation of that passage where Jesus said that the glory that I have given to them that you have given me, I've given to them. Right? It cannot mean that Jesus gives his intrinsic glory to his people. The glory that he alluded to in John 17, 5, we're talking about the glory that he had before the foundation of the world that is unique to him, that, is a, that makes up uh, his person as one who is divine, son of God, and eternal. All the scriptures do tell us that there, we will receive glory in heaven. But it's a different glory than that of Christ. But the glory of Jesus Christ also includes the gospel, right? Includes the cross. The cross is the way by which the world will see the glory of Jesus Christ. Christ dying on behalf of sinners. And so his glory, his giving his glory to the church is his giving the proclamation of the glory of Christ. Which is, which is an honorable thing for us to be able to carry on the message of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. And the glory of Jesus Christ also includes Jesus being the exact image and representation of God. Right? And through the gospel, one of the things that the gospel does in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit is that it changes us. It restores the image of God in us that was marred by our sins. So then, Christ sharing his glory with us is the honor of being entrusted with the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, who through the gospel restores the image of God in us. It's for this reason the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. So this points to the unity that we have. And it's a, and it's a unity of love because Christ loves us enough to share this glory with us and that he will call us to himself to be one with him, to be one with God. Right, and that, so that unity has to be a unity of love. 
And it is when we walk in unity that the world sees that we are loved by God. When we walk in the same manner that the Lord calls us to because of the gospel, when we proclaim the same things, when we affirm the same things, when we worship the Lord Jesus Christ with one voice, with one heart, not only does it become attractional to the world, but it shows that we are, in fact, loved by God. Because the fact that the gospel reconciles us to God and brings us into unity also tells us that we were once separated from God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then further down in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So alienated from God, strangers, separated. That, was, that is how the scriptures describe our relationship with God. Because of our sins, right? Because of our sins, we were separated from Christ. But then verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the degree of our separation from God because of our sins is, was worse than two best friends no longer being friends anymore. It's much more painful than, than spouses separating because of divorce. It's much more tragic than parents losing their relationship with their kids. It's much more agonizing than the loss of a loved one. Ephesians tells us this was also a relationship marked by hostility, hostile, because we were sinners in the hands of a judge who meant to condemn us because of our sins and transgressions before God. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to God. Our sins have been cleansed. Our sins have been forgiven. We've received justification through our faith in Jesus Christ so that we are reconciled to God, so that we are no longer considered two separate entities, but we are considered one new man, united to God through Jesus Christ. After Michael Jordan retired, the Chicago Stadium of the United Center continued to have a lot of people come, although they didn't, they didn't have the amount of popularity that they did under, under Michael Jordan and his time playing, but they still had a lot, a lot of people coming to see the Bulls play. And, and people come and go. You know, for that, just that one moment, people come and united for just a few hours, and then once it's over, it's over. People go on to their homes, the people who sat next to you or beside you or in front of you or behind you, you'll probably never see again. 
right? And those moments are, are wonderful and we can enjoy them, right? but they don't compare to the unity that there is in Christ's church. One unity lasts for a few hours. The other unity is intended to last forever and ever and ever. And it's much more precious because it is a unity based on our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the gospel because the gospel right, unites us to Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit of God, we are always united to Christ. But the work of maintaining unity in Christ's church is up to you and me. That's up to us. Again, Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says to the church, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel of your life? We continue with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That word bear, right, it's intended to communicate that it's going to be tough, that it's going to be difficult, that some days it's just going to be hard to live with one another. Why? Because we are human beings, because we are sinful, because we can easily offend others, and we also can be easily offended. So the scriptures tell us to bear with one another in love. And furthermore, it says eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, an eagerness to maintain unity. There are many people in many churches who are more eager to disunite than eager to maintain unity. And many people, many church members think that there are a lot of reasons to leave the church, but I'm convinced that 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 list is actually much smaller than you might think. The Scriptures ask us, command us to bear with one another in love, to eager, be eager to maintain unity. Right, many people, as, moment, as, as soon as a, a trial hits, as, as soon as something, somebody does something offensive, they are quick to book it. When the Scripture says, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. Right, let us not be let us not take the easy way out when something hard comes, when somebody offends us. Put the hard work of pursuing reconciliation and pursuing the easy way out and just finding another way out to find another church. And my, this whole thing is not intended to be a spiel about membership, right? Although I think that is incredibly important to commit yourself to a local body of believers. But the important thing is, is that we maintain unity and not run away the moment that somebody offends us or the moment that somebody does something questionable without ever asking them about it or confronting them about it or just having a conversation about it. And because anyone, according to the scripture, anybody who is not eager to maintain that unity but is quick instead to not maintain that unity and reconcile with one another is actually being disobedient to the scriptures and disobedient to God. Bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Christ's church, right, is the harder work. It is hard. But it's what the Scriptures call us to do. And not find the easy way out. 
And that's how we show that we love one another, right? That's how we show that this church is united, that Christ's church is always united, because you have a people who love one another and are able and are willing to look over each other's offenses. Because the person sitting next to me, because the person sitting next to me or in front of me or whoever is a person who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is my brother or sister who is united to Jesus Christ, and I am eager to maintain my unity with that person. Because Christ loves him or her, and I love that person as well. We don't have, obviously, 18,000 people on Sunday mornings. We may never have those numbers, and quite frankly, I don't think I ever want numbers like that. But I would rather have a church of 100 people, or 70, or 50, or even a church of of 10 people who are united and joined together in the gospel of Jesus Christ, than a crowd of 18,000 people who have no unity at all or have a superficial unity that is lost the moment they take their exit. The unity of that 10 will last forever, and the unity of the 18,000 will cease because of what Christ has done for my own life and what Christ has done and for your life and in our church. I am eager to maintain this unity. And my prayer and hope is that you also share in that same eagerness as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uniting us to yourself. We were separated from you because of our sins. But we thank you, Lord, because even in our sins, you have loved us and brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ. To be one body with Jesus Christ as our head. So may we grow up into his fullness. Work within us and through us. May the unity that you share within yourself and with Christ and with the Holy Spirit be diffused through your church. And may we be eager to maintain this unity because we love one another and because we want unbelievers to come and see the love and the unity that there is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, be, and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would bring more unbelievers into our midst, Lord, that they may see our unity, that they may see our love, and be drawn to Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to sing this chorus. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I love thinking about that the idea of freedom. With this idea of unity, we're now set free to live in the unity. And that is freedom. That is not bondage. It, it, you don't have that freedom without Jesus Christ setting you free. Amen. So let's just stand and let's just celebrate together today.
father's house in my father's house there's a place for me i'm a child of god yes i am amen
birth now together, Creator God. Creator God, you gave me breath so I could praise your great and matchless name. All my days, all my days, so let my whole life be a blazing offering. Like the shouts and sing the greatness of our King. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Yeah. All glory to God. Glory to God. All glory to God forever. We pray. So take hear these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, which speak to the unity that we have with Jesus Christ. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen. It's good to worship with you, brothers and sisters, and you are dismissed.